Welcome to the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe now so you don't miss a drop of straight talk you can't get anywhere else. We discuss the whiskeys to drink, music to listen to, and what it really takes to be an effective leader. I'm your host, Galen Bingham, the leadership strategist. Tonight's guest, nationally recognized workforce development expert, Charles Botts III. Hey, what you drink? Okay, so this is going to be a first because it's not going to be a first from the standpoint of having someone brilliant uh, on this show because every guest that I have is brilliant. It's not going to be the first time having someone who I respect a great deal on the show because I, I, I only talk to people who I respect a great deal. So if you hear them on this show, you just know that this is like part of my crew. But this is the first time I'm going to have someone on the show who's actually, I've actually worked with them as a client. So this is a formal client of mine. And, um, you know, just the more that I talked with Mr. Charles Botts, the more I just really admired him and I was learning from him as much as hopefully he was learning from me. So I said, hey, what the heck? Let's just go ahead and do this thing. So Charles... Welcome to Whiskey Jazz and Leadership, my man. Come on into the room. Yes, sir. Thrilled to be here, Galen. Thank you. Thank you. What an honor. What a privilege. I'm excited. I'm excited for this conversation. Well, hey, man, uh, you know, definitely want to get into this conversation and, and have to share how you and I met, because even how you and I met was, it was kind of odd. There were some odd circumstances around it. And uh, want, want to get into that story. But first, you know, I, I, I got to ask because otherwise n- no one's ever going to start listening. So they know they got to perk up once I ask. So what you drinking? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this this is a two part answer. And um, I was a little, uh, I guess, hesitant maybe when I when I first got the invite uh, to be on because I'm not. Full disclosure, I'm not an alcohol drinker, never, never have been. Really, I'm one of those people that have never had any alcohol. You know, I don't, I guess, wine at communion at church, maybe that kind of counts. But beyond that, you know, never through high school, through college, um, you know, we didn't have champagne at my wedding, all that kind of good stuff. Um, so this time of year, this season, eggnog is huge and i'm kind of an eggnog connoisseur and i like to doctor my eggnog so i know your audience can appreciate someone that takes time with their beverages and so i've got sort of the standard hood eggnog with some cinnamon added and then i cut my eggnog because eggnog is really thick and as i've gotten older you know can't really do like i used to so i actually cut my eggnog with just a little bit of chobani oat milk so that that's what i've got going on i've got some eggnog a little bit of chobani oat milk and some cinnamon uh and that's what i'm drinking and for your loyal listeners i do have a recommendation from a good friend of mine that is a whiskey drinker and he threw out there for your folks, and maybe this is something you're familiar with, Woodford Reserve Double Oaked. Ooh. He thought that was a good go-to. 
That is a good go-to. That is a good go-to. I approve of your friend selection. So please pass along my endorsement. And I'll tell you, you know, we've had some pretty high-level evaluations of alkaline water. We've had some incredibly high uh, evaluations of apple juice. Eggnog, I, I approve, man. You're coming pretty strong. You're coming pretty strong. Excellent. Thank you. So yeah, listen, I, I know your listeners. I know your audience. They don't mess around. So if I'm going to be on here not drinking whiskey, I better be talking about something right. <laughs> well, hey, man, that just means that I've got to come with, you know, a, a, a true a true whiskey here. And, I, you know, I put a lot of thought into the whiskeys that I drink based upon the guests that I'm going to have on, because there, there has to be like a marriage between the conversation and what I'm enjoying. So today for this conversation, you know, Charles, you're just kind of one of those, you're always good, right? No matter what setting I find you in, whether it's a one-on-one conversation, which you and I have had a, a number of one-on-one conversations. Uh, we, we actually met in a group conversation, that consistency, right? That, that dependability, was really, really important. So I decided to go with uh, some Elijah Craig, small batch, 94 proof. If you can, if you go to a bar or to a restaurant and they don't have Elijah Craig, I'm going to tell you to get up and leave. I, I don't, I don't care what you order. Just get up and leave because uh, it's probably not going to be good for your digestion. So that's what I'm going to go with today. And we're going to go and crack this open. Oh yeah. So like I said, if I don't care if you ordered your steak, if you order a whiskey and they don't have Elijah Craig, you know, you need to like get on Yelp and start talking about them. Cause this, this is dependable, right? This is the real thing. So, so man, share a little bit about your background, share a little bit about who you are and, um, you know, also work in, a little bit as to how we met, because it wasn't necessarily the normal circumstance where where I, where I meet clients, not in the situation that we met, but I think it really did kind of uh, speak to who we are and how we were trying to show up. And I think it added a, a layer of of integrity to our relationship. So I'm, I'm going to let you jump into your your background uh, as I enjoy some of this Elijah Craig. Well, again, Galen, really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, you, you've had some heavy hitters. You have heavy, heavy hitters. Um, I, we were joking earlier before we got on, you sort of look at the guest list and you know, where, where Charles Bott's name kind of pops up as sort of like one of these things. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. One of these things may not be quite like the other, but uh, you know, enough self-deprecation. Um, uh, my background is, is varied. You, if you follow my career path, I've done some nonprofit work. I've done some, you know, big kind of corporate for-profit. I was at Aetna for a couple of years. I was at uh, AARP for a couple of years. I was a football coach, college football coach for five years. I've been a part of nonprofit organizations, as I said, and for the last decade or more, uh, actually it's, it's going on uh, 12 years, 
I've been in workforce development. What's workforce development? Well, workforce development is getting people back to work. That's, that's the long and the short of it. And there are lots of ins and outs and ways that we do that. Uh, but I've really found, I think, a home in this industry. And, uh, and it was something that I sort of fell into, like many people in workforce development. There are very few kind of formal academic training programs that prepare you for this industry. This industry, I heard Brother DuBose say um, in your, your entrepreneurial uh, podcast uh, recently um, that he got his PhD from, from the School of Hard Knocks. And that's, that is very much what the path to workforce development is for many people. It's uh, you do other things, you, you claw and you scratch, um, you cut your teeth in many other industries and you sort of make your way into workforce development. And so that's where I've been for, you know, for, for a decade or more. And so in that, uh, I've done and, and haven't had an opportunity and continue to do uh, lots of different things. More recently, um, my family and I started an online church. Um, so, you know, some will call me pastor, which is still something that I'm kind of getting used to. Uh, but that's been a fantastic experience. And so we're, you know, we're more than a year uh, into this thing. We started in the middle of a pandemic and, uh, and that has just continued to be an amazing experience. And so that is actually kind of how we met. Um, we met as part of an online men's conference through a shared uh, colleague, a shared friend um, that we both have. This, this, this individual was putting on an online men's conference. And so he had known me from uh, some work that he and I had done together. And I actually had an opportunity to appear on a couple of his podcasts. And, and obviously you and he, uh, Dr. Clark, have a relationship. And uh, so we were speaking uh, on this conference. And I think it was day two of a two-day online conference. And we had actually come to the portion of your presentation that you and I had been on a panel. And so I believe this was now just your, it was Galen's show and you were doing your, uh, you were doing your talk on leadership and we were Zoom bombed. Galen, we were Zoom bombed in the middle of this online faith and leadership men's conference. It was an intense experience. Um, it was not like anything I had ever been a part of. Uh, we, we got through it. Unfortunately, it ended up kind of cutting the conference a bit short, but it brought you and I into contact. And I had shared with you the exposure that I had gotten to you during that conference, I think really sort of forged our introduction in fire. And, and it really has, has taken off from that point. Um, I, I, what do they say? Like every great relationship has a great beginning. Uh, well, brother, our relationship, I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes because we had a beginning for sure, my friend, for sure. Ah, man, I'll tell you, I, I, I have never, ever anticipated uh, an experience like that and suspect and hope that I will never, ever have an experience like that again. But but I, I, I'll tell you, you know, that, that really kind of leads me to... Uh, why I thought you would be an incredible person to talk to my guests because it, it really kind of fits into this this metaphor that I have for whiskey, jazz, and leadership. And, and, and everyone knows my story in that I, I love all three literally. 
but as metaphors, they work for me as well. And the, the metaphor of whiskey is enjoying what you enjoy with people that you enjoyed with without changing <laughs> because other folks come around, right? So this, this consistency, this authenticity, and just doing what you enjoy because you enjoy it. And so that's, that's the whiskey metaphor for me. The jazz is this idea that you, you, you've got a beginning, you've got an ending objective, but how you get there is not going to be a straight line. It's not going to go according to plan. That's guaranteed. I can tell you for sure that it's not going to go uh, according to how the brochure describes. But you still have a responsibility to get to that end point, much like, you know, the way that we met. And then leadership, you know, again, I, I can't have very many conversations where leadership doesn't at least come into my mind. I'm, I'm getting better at, at, at not inserting my leadership principles into every conversation, but, uh, you know, I'm still like halfway through that 12-step program. That 12-step program is 12-step program is pretty good, and I'm, I'm really, really focused on getting through that. But at the end of the day, I, I believe that nothing happens until somebody does something, and, and, and nobody eats unless somebody kills something. And I used to, I used to get frustrated by saying that because a lot of my friends are vegans, and they corrected me by saying, hey, look, we got to kill a plant. And I'm like, well, there you go. But nothing happens until somebody makes something happen and that usually requires leadership. So uh, I, I wanna pass those metaphors back to you and just get your perspective on how do those three concepts connect in your life? The, the, the metaphor of whiskey, the metaphor of jazz, the metaphor of, of leadership. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think, and, you know, and again, not, not being a whiskey drinker, but, but understanding the metaphor. And I, you know, I like that notion of showing up the same. And I had made, without getting into a, a lengthy backstory, I had made a pledge to, to some folks, to a, 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 group of co, a group of colleagues about two years ago, might even be a little bit more than that. Um, and some folks will be familiar with this terminology that I, that I was no longer going to code switch. And, mm -hmm. and for folks that maybe aren't familiar with the term code switch, it's this idea um, uh, predominantly in sort of black and brown communities uh, where you, you show up differently in certain spaces. That when you show up in a corporate environment, perhaps the, the, the dialect changes a little bit and you lose a little bit of the base. And, and so, you know, you sort of raise your, your tone a bit uh, in certain spaces because you are trying to adapt, assimilate, fit in. And, and so I had made a pledge a couple of years ago that I was not going to code switch anymore, that, mm -hmm. that I was going to be the same Charles in church, at work, at home, at play with friends, with colleagues, with investors, with whoever that, you know, kind of like whiskey, I was going for that consistency. I was, I was going to be the same regardless of the environment. And I, you know, I think that, that, you know, it's a powerful metaphor, that consistency showing up and being the same all the time. 
I think with jazz and one of the beauties of jazz and, and while I'm, I wouldn't necessarily call myself a big jazz fan, I am a great appreciator of jazz and the talent and the craft that goes into jazz. I think one of the underappreciated components to jazz is the care and the craft and the intention that goes into a really good set. And I think when people think about jazz, the default is all of the improvisation, the solos and the improv and getting off script and, and you know, being in the flow, being in the moment. I think what's underappreciated is that there's a lot of care and intention that goes into setting or creating, coming up with a set list and getting all of the players in the band, whether it's a quartet, whether it's, you know, a larger uh, a collection of instrumentalists, but getting vocalists, but getting everybody on the same page in terms of, right, this is the set list. This is the order that we're going to go through. And now that everybody knows the plan, now, now we can flow. We can improvise. We can, we can think on our feet. We can adapt. But that plan has to be set. And I think that's one of the, again, one of the more underappreciated components of jazz that, that I have a, a great respect for and have tried to adopt that and bring that into my professional career to be more intentional about planning. I, I am someone that embraces change, is very flexible. And so more recently now I've been working on, all right, let's get focused with a plan. Let's get intentional with a plan. And once we have the plan, then we can be flexible. And in terms of leadership, man, you know, I, I, you're exactly right that, that someone's has to kind of take initiative. Someone's got to sort of step up, you know, take the beach, you know, harvest the, the crops. If we're trying to be mindful of, you know, different, different consumption metaphors that, you know, we may not necessarily be a bow and arrow into the, into the woods. We may just be going out and, and, and harvesting uh, the fall crops or what have you. You got to do it. And, you know, I think maybe we'll, we'll explore this a little bit more. The leadership paradigm that I have particularly, you know, more in my adult life, I have really tried to embody every single day, Galen, and, and interactions with my children, my, my wife, my, my colleagues, my friends, is really adopting that servant leadership paradigm. Um, and I've heard several of your guests talk about it. And, um, you know, for me, it's not, it's not the newest hip kind of cool thing. It is the, the way in which I try to show up every single day of my life and every single thing that I do um, is that servant leadership paradigm. You know, uh, I'll tell you, a lot of people will think that servant leadership is uh, soft and there is nothing, <laughs> there is nothing soft about servant leadership, if to your point, if it's done right. Uh, I, I have seen a lot of people using the phrase servant leadership, and that's as far as they are actually going, right? They're, they're actually using it as a manipulation tool, but they're not really thinking about uh, what goes into, you know, going back to what you said about jazz, what goes into creating the environment where you can, you can flow and do your thing. Talk to me a little bit about um, what it takes to be a servant leader that passerbys might not appreciate just from listening to the term. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and it is, it's interesting because it is not something that is immediately apparent. Um, and, and the beauty of servant leadership is that it can be done by a variety of personality types. Uh, you know, you, you, you are aware of this uh, from me, your, your listeners, not though, certainly those that don't know me aren't, aren't familiar with me. Um, wouldn't know and might not even be able to appreciate just, you know, from, uh, you know, my, my tone and, and sort of my background in this conversation. I am an introverted leader. Uh, I, am, I am very much an introvert. I get my power. I get my energy. I charge my battery from being alone, um, from spending time sort of in deep thought and deep contemplation, um, you know, in very isolated spaces. That, that's how I recharge. That's how I get my energy. One might think that servant leadership sort of defaults or, or favors those kinds of individuals, uh, but the reality is large, charismatic extroverts uh, have the same capacity to be servant leaders. And so to answer the question directly, you know, what that looks like is it is an effort. It is a focus on drawing the attention away from self toward others. And it is providing space and opportunity for others to be their best selves as often as the environment and uh, the work and the opportunity and the circumstances allow. Uh, And so, you know, one of the things that I make a point of doing with my team or with our division is giving folks an opportunity on a daily basis to solicit, to direct me in terms of my activities and and my work. Um, If you had an opportunity to listen in on some of the daily stand-ups that I have with with our consultants, every single stand-up ends with me asking a consultant, what else do you have going on? How may I serve? How I may support you and what you have going on today? That's in addition to my own sort of my own responsibilities, my own to-do list, my own activities, but it's how can I serve and support you in what you're doing? That's servant leadership. That's, mm. that, that is a way to unpack that and to see that done uh, on a regular basis is what are you doing to provide the people around you access to you by way of service and support? And I, I, totally agree with everything that you said about that being um, really kind of the leadership style. And it is a choice. It is a choice of style. It's not, it's by all, by no means is it the only, and I'm not necessarily going to sit here and suggest that it's the best, but it, it certainly is the one that seems to be the most effective with getting others on board. And, you know, as you and I have talked and some of the work that we've done together, I, I just continue to come back to this, to this belief that leaders do three things. And the first thing that they do, not necessarily the most important thing, but the first thing that they do is they, they paint a very clear picture of what winning looks like. You know, what, what does it mean when we say we have achieved our goal? What does mission accomplished look like? Um, because without that, then people who show up every day wanting to do a good job, they don't know what a good job looks like. And they're going to try to do a good job, but they're going to miss the mark because they don't know what it looks like. So painting a very clear picture of what winning looks like. The second responsibility of a leader 
is to identify and remove barriers that stand in the way of other people achieving that goal. And that's, that's that servant leadership piece. What can I do to make it possible for you to be amazing today, right? Because otherwise, if I don't step in and help you be amazing, then outside of luck and chance, the best I'm ever gonna get is good. And if I'm shooting for amazing, I need to step in and help you be amazing. And then the, 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 the third thing that leaders do is they inspire other people to wanna to get on board with achieving that mission of, of pursuing what winning looks like. You know, I, I'll tell you one of, one of the books that I read, I don't know, this, this book is probably 25 years old now. And, but it, I continue to think about this. It's a classic by Laurie Beth Jones, and it's called Jesus CEO. And I don't remember everything about what was in the book, but there was one line towards the very beginning of the book. It might've even been in the forward. And she said, regardless of what you, what your faith is, people agree that Jesus was an actual person. There was an actual person who walked the earth and his name was Jesus. So everyone kind of agrees with that. So this isn't about spiritual spirituality, but from a leadership perspective, he showed up in such a way that 12 people of varying levels of education with varying levels of personal issues with varying levels of commitment, all agreed that they would be willing to do almost anything, even face gruesome death for one reason and one reason only, and that is in the hopes that they could see Jesus again and have Jesus say, you did a good job. Now, whatever you believe spiritually or religiously, you gotta agree, that's a pretty, that's a pretty strong leadership statement because I'm the leadership strategist and I can't think of anybody that would be willing to go through all that just to hear me say, you did a good job. <laughs> so what what's kind of how how does that sentiment flavor how you try to show up as a leader? Yeah, you you, you know, and you nailed it. Um I think when you said as we were talking about servant leadership, you said I'm going to go back just a, a bit to go forward. You said you are in no way saying that that servant leadership is the best or sort of the only model. And I and I instinctively sort of went along, but I'm I'm gonna push back just a little on you. I'm gonna push back just a, a bit on uh your listeners who or are maybe believers or espouse um a different leadership paradigm, a different leadership tactic. And what I would say is servant leadership is certainly not the only effective leadership paradigm, leadership strategy, leadership tactic. I would challenge someone to show me a, a leadership strategy, a leadership paradigm, a leadership tactic that is longer lasting. What is so impactful for servant leadership to me is that it is the best way to leave a legacy. It is the best way to leave a permanent, lasting legacy 
that exists far beyond you in a particular moment or space and time. Uh, one of the things uh, uh, that I mentioned that my family and I started a church, I also have an LLC that I had started uh, a, a couple years ago doing a variety of things. And, and one of the one of the, the pieces of work that, that has come out of the LLC is this notion, this idea of a thoughtpreneur, a thoughtpreneur. And, and so when you think about entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs are, are trying to leave a mark. They're trying to bring something to the marketplace that doesn't currently exist, or they're, or they're trying to bring something that, uh, that they can do better than what's out there. They've got a different approach, a different style, what have you, a different process. A thoughtpreneur is someone that understands and appreciates you can have impact and influence far beyond yourself into communities and into regions that you may never visit by virtue of the impact you can have on someone else's mindset, on someone else's thought process. And so when I think about servant leadership, when I think about the idea of legacy, that, that's what comes to mind is this notion that as a servant leader, as a thoughtpreneur, I can leave a, a, a mark, I can grow a legacy that can, that can penetrate and permeate and have access and impact in, in time and space where, where I can't go. Mm. Even if I'm able to circle the globe, I'm not going to be able to circle the globe indefinitely, right? So through the legacy of servant leadership, I have an opportunity, we all have an opportunity to have impact beyond our sort of our material physical existence wow, um, and, I, and i think that that is where where the leadership conversation you know we think about legacy are we thinking about legacy and impact are we thinking about sort of like inheritance or are we thinking about transformation mm. and that that you know that's where i want to go that's the kind of mark i want to leave hey it's not too late Hit that subscribe button so you're sure to catch the next episode. If you're really enjoying the vibe, leave us a review or become a VIP for guests and show exclusives. Cheers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.